Welcome to Unveiled Faces, a Redeemer Presbyterian Church podcast. Please enjoy our future presentation. So glad to meet with you again. This is a great honor, a great privilege. Uh, today I'm going to be uh, speaking from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse uh, 27 through chapter 13 uh, through uh, verse 8. Our focus is going to be primarily upon the first eight verses of 1 Corinthians 13. But I would like for us to read the preceding verses to put our text into its context. Beginning in verse 27, 1 Corinthians chapter 27. Now we are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet shew I unto you a more excellent way. Chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or as tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the inspired, inerrant word of God that we have read And we pray, Father, that you would direct our minds and our thoughts as to the meaning of these words and the application of these words to our own personal lives. 
And Father, we pray that in all things that your name may be glorified. And that, Father, that we would exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, that each one of us today would cast our cares, our burdens upon our Lord Jesus, and that we would see that in Him, in him alone is our complete redemption. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The exhortation of the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian believers in our text is this, that they might follow the more excellent way in the exercise of their spiritual gifts. The more excellent way for believers is this, to exercise their gifts out of a heart of love to God and love for Christian believers. In our text, it is apparent that the Corinthian believers had a greater regard for their miraculous, their extraordinary gifts than they did in the love and charity that they were to manifest in the exercise of those gifts. And so then Paul exhorts the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12, 31. That is why I wanted to include uh, verse 31. Sometimes the chapter breaks uh, aren't very uh, accommodated for context, so we had to move up a few verses. So 1 Corinthians 12, 31. The Apostle Paul exhorts Christian believers to follow the more Excellent way. Now, if we're going to follow the more excellent way, we've got to know what that is, and that's what we'll be doing in this message. And then, of course, the application is that we are to follow that more excellent way. The more excellent way is a more excellent way of ministering to the welfare of the believers in the church and of edifying of their souls. So by exercising true Christian love towards one another, the gifts then are functioning to build them up in love and manifesting your love who minister the word in a way as an example that we are all to exercise our gifts for the benefit of other church members. (laughs) The Christian believers needed to learn, according to William Burkett, that the sanctifying graces of the Holy Spirit are more excellent than the gifts. Particularly in Corinth, during that first century of the Christian church, they were blessed abundantly with miraculous and extraordinary gifts. As we will be looking at some of those gifts that are named in the context, gift of prophecies, gift of tongues, and uh, the gift of knowledge. And so, the more excellent way, we'll set this out right at the very beginning, in all of us who have particular gifts in the church, and we all are used of God in one way or the other for the benefit of church members, but the exercise of that gift, the exercise of that gift is for the purpose of building up one another in love, and not to dote upon the gift. And so, therefore, it is a Christian's duty to be much more desirous for the grace of charity or love 
than for spiritual gifts, which the apostle is saying here will vanish away. He's talking uh, primarily about those extraordinary gifts that will vanish away. And they did after the first century. We call them the apostolic gifts because they were largely during the time of the apostles. And then they faded away, and we'll get into why that happened. And, but just note, the focus here is exercising your gifts. When you come to church, you fellowship. You want, of course, to sense the love and fellowship of others, but you are to give of yourself to one another. And it's so important that we do this if we would be a healthy church. And so if we should inquire then as to what those miraculous gifts are, the Apostle Paul names them. And if you'll look at verses 1 through 3 and verse 8 of chapter 13. I'm not going to read the verses. I'll just state what those gifts are. First of all, we have the gift of tongues in verse 1 of, of the uh, 13th chapter. The gift of tongues. And then in verse 2, chapter 13, the gift of prophecy. And then the gift of knowledge and the gift of faith. There are four gifts that are named there. These were gifts, gifts we would call them extraordinary gifts or miraculous gifts. And they had one purpose, and I'll state what that purpose was. They did not have... The New Testament in that first century completed until the book of the Revelation was written. And so to confirm that what was being said by prophecies, it had to be confirmed by their exercise of these extraordinary gifts. Uh, The gift of tongues or languages. What that was all about, we learned from Acts chapter 2. The apostles would speak in a language they, they, did, they never had learned, like they may be Jewish, they'd speak in their language, and then they would speak to the Elamites, and they would be able to speak to the Elamites in their language. And all those people that were named there in Acts chapter 2 that were there at Pentecost. It was a miraculous gift, and it showed that they, knowing their language, confirmed that what they said was true. The gift of prophecy, they could prophesy there would be certain things. I believe in Acts it speaks about one uh, prophesying about a famine, and a famine came about. And then all knowledge. Now some would say, well, how could this be extraordinary gifts? Because it says all knowledge. The knowledge here, as we noted, is extraordinary. Uh, a good example that I can think about is uh, the knowledge that Peter had of Ananias and Sapphira's lie. How did he know? It was Extraordinarily implanted into his mind, that's extraordinary knowledge. Then all faith, simply this, that (coughs) we see the gift of all faith was great, such that, as it says there, one could move mountains. Our Lord Jesus Christ did say, uh, you could say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou planted into the sea. Now, uh, I would take that to mean uh, the Lord doesn't do things just at our whim, to just see if it works. Uh, Rather, uh, it's an extraordinary gift of faith that could do miraculous things. It was the means. It could not do it itself. It was the means that God used. So these are the gifts that were in the church. And we have those who had these gifts 
in the Corinthian church who were seeing much of that as something for them to dote upon. And they got away from the purpose, and that was to minister to the saints, to build them up uh, in, in love. And so we do note here then three things in this verses 1 uh, through 3. And that is regarding charity being the more excellent way. That is what is the most excellent way. Manifesting love, manifesting charity in your fellowship, in the exercise of your gifts. Now, I want to note in verses 1 through 8, then, I want us to note, first of all, charity is the more excellent way because without it, neither our gifts nor the practice of that gift can profit anyone if there is no love. Charity is a more excellent way because without charity, Paul said, you are nothing. I like to think about what nothing must mean. I remember uh, when I was studying at the university that I went to, I uh, had a professor standing up there and chalkboard. He said, do you want to know what nothing is? And he draws this big circle, zero. Now we would think, you know, those who know math, you'd say zero, that's nothing. But he said, nothing absolutely is, and he took an eraser and he rubbed the rim out. That's nothing. And that's what we should see in regards to what Paul is saying in these first three verses. That without charity, our gifts profit nothing. Now I know that uh, we don't live in those times when we have those extraordinary gifts. But we all have gifts. God gives gifts to the church. And you know what God has given you. And as you use it, you want to make sure that it is always done in such a way to manifest your love. Your love of God. Your love to them. And not for something to exalt yourself. So charity then is utmost important in the exercise of the gifts. Now charity, let's take a look at that word. Of course, uh, that's the same word that we translate love, charity, agape. uh, Which in the scriptures is defined by, like John Gill's definition, uh, this Grace of charity or love is the love of God, is the grace to love God and the grace to love Christ and the grace to love the saints, which is a grace implanted in the heart at regeneration. So those who have these gifts and are regenerated are the ones who are being called upon here to show that love in the exercise of their gifts to others. We must show that same Christ-like manner of love that was bestowed upon us in our salvation and of all the things that God has done for us. Let us also show that love one to the other. I was just contemplating here in the last month or so how important it is that we see the love of God manifested in the church, especially 
uh, believers to believers. We are living in a very difficult time. And the thing that would encourage us most is to have brothers and sisters coming up one side or the other whenever something is going on in your life that's difficult to encourage them and to manifest your love to them. It'll be something that that will greatly be of great help to those who are struggling. We, We ought to exercise that as the Apostle Paul is telling the Corinthians in verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. Here, Paul in this verse 1 even takes it further. Not only is it nothing, but it's worse than nothing. It's a negative. And it's not pleasant. I don't know, have you ever heard of sounding brass and tinkling cymbal all without any following any notes? It, it would drive us crazy after a while. And so if, it's, if our gifts are being exercised without a clear manifestation of love, it is like that, sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. And Paul says, you may have this great ability to be able to speak in languages that you've never learned, but all of that is nothing. And if you even had the ability to speak in, as Spurgeon says, uh, as the tongue of angels, the most lofty kind of eloquence, the most lofty kind of eloquence, all of that is nothing. Though it's so important that we understand that in the exercise of our gifts, we ought to have love written all over it. When we communicate with one another, the people that we are communicating with, love should be preeminent. When I think of uh, in Acts where uh, it said that there were those that saw the apostles and they saw that they were very much Christ-like, it no doubt was speaking of their love for each other. People can see that when they're together. And that's exactly what God is calling upon us here to do. He says that we are then to show forth that love and exercise of those gifts. And without charity, one's professing the faith is nothing, though he may have many extraordinary gifts bestowed upon him. I have no doubt that Judas was able to do these extraordinary gifts. And what did he accomplish? Nothing. We see also in verse 2, the apostle says, and though I have the extraordinary gift of prophecy, that is to speak those things that are to happen in the future. And if it's a true prophecy, it will come to pass. If it doesn't, it's a false prophecy. But there were those who had that ability. And able to understand all mysteries, it says in verse 2. And all knowledge. All knowledge. Meaning extraordinary knowledge. A knowledge which one doesn't have by nature, but is given for the special gift to those to show that what they speak is the word of God. 
Also, faith, as we see uh, in the scriptures here. Verse 2. If I have faith so that I could remove all mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. I don't think there's anything more devastating than to labor and then to see that you have not accomplished anything, but and uh, even worse, if you become as sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. We must see to it that our heart is filled in love, not with our gift, but uh, for the service and benefit of others. William Burgett goes on to say of the words, though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, he says, I am nothing. The miraculous faith may be severed from charity. That is, as I said, with Judas. He had miraculous things, did miraculous things, but he had no charity because he didn't end well. We know that. But justifying faith, William Burkett says, cannot be separated from charity. If we have justifying faith, true faith, it cannot be separated from charity. Justifying faith always works by love. And wherever that grace is found, it gives value and acceptance to all other graces. But faith without charity is a mere dead ascent. And further, in verse 3, regarding without charity, we are nothing. The apostle says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. We can go at great lengths in what we think are good works. And yet, if it's not couched in love, It's for naught. We know that God has given gifts to the church, but we need to take care that we minister that with a loving spirit. Good works, we see, are being pointed to here in this third verse. What are good works? I like what the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, answer 91, says, good works are only those which proceed from true faith. There must be justifying faith, as I was just saying, if we would do that in a loving way. Because that love of that grace of charity is in those who have true faith. So good works must proceed from true faith and are done according to the law of God. They're done for the glory of God And they rest not upon such things as our own opinions or the commandments of men. Charity is the more excellent way. And we note now in verses 4 through 7, charity is the more excellent way, not only because if we don't have it, we are nothing But in verses 4 through 7, it's the more excellent way. 
in the use of your spiritual gifts because of the virtuous properties in charity. All of verses 4 through 7 have to do with those virtuous properties of charity. That's how we identify it. And thus, I would like to just give you some of the explanations. They're very precise and concise by Matthew Henry in regards to each one of these so that we'll grasp what is being said. I would recommend, as I was preparing this message, I would recommend, and I want to say this, all of us memorize uh, this chapter at least up through uh, verse 8, 1 through 8. 1 Corinthians 13. Because the world speaks about love. But we're talking about word, a word here, and it's defined by the Holy Spirit here. Inspired word of God. What charity, what love looks like. Thus Matthew Henry says, Charity can endure evil, injury, provocation, without being filled with resentment, indignation, and revenge. Charity is kind. It is benign. It is courteous and obliging. Charity seeks to be useful and not only seizes on opportunities of doing good, but searches for opportunities to do good. Charity envieth not. What is envy? One of the Proverbs says, who can stand before envy? In other words... It's a, it's a great destroyer. It's being grieved at the good that comes upon others. Others have something that is better than yours. Especially if you think you're entitled to something better. And that's part of the old sinful nature. We aren't entitled to anything but condemnation. We know that. But charity does not envy. It vaunts not itself. That is, it doesn't want to put itself out there in front all the time. Maybe you've had conversations with people and all they could talk about is themselves and the things that they're doing and the things that they've got. You start a conversation, you really got something you want to talk to them about, want some input from them on something that you have to say, and they twist that conversation and they go off in a direction, uh, in a direction totally away from what your intent is, and it brings, brings it all back to themselves. That's vaunting yourself. And that would be a good thing to remember in your conversations. Uh, when somebody's got something serious, they're talking to you about, be empathetic. Think about what they're saying and, and feel as they feel. And tell them what they need to know from what you know of Scripture. It is not, and this is very similar, vaunteth not itself, uh, it's not puffed up. Puffed up is, is just pride, arrogance. And that is one of the things that God hates most. There are seven things that are in Proverbs that it says that God hates. The top of the list is pride. And so when you see pride lurking, remember this. This is the devil, like Peter says, going about as a uh, roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Pride is the thing that has brought many people down to nothing. And so we must remember that this is not love. When we see those things in our heart, we must acknowledge it. I've 
been doing those things even recently. Things about myself that I see. And sometimes I haven't seen it for a while, you know, and now I see it and it's part of that working out of our sanctification and asking God to give us mercy, to be loving, to really and truly love others. To love your mom and dad. To love your brothers and sisters. Especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. They need your love. And you need to be loved as well. But let that be, take a rear seat to everything else. You need to be focused upon others. What you can do to encourage them. In verse 5, the apostle goes on to say, in part of the virtuous properties, I would call these, of charity, it does not behave unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Doth not behave itself unseemly. I like what Matthew Henry says here. It does not that, nothing that in the common account of men is base or vile. It behaves towards all men as becomes their rank with reverence and respect to superiors, with kindness and condescension to inferiors, with courtesy and goodwill towards all men. Charity seeketh not her own. We see how that, I believe it's even more so in this generation, we're seeing how that we've all become so self-centered. Charity is not self-centered, seeks not its own, does not inordinately declare nor seek its own praise or honor and profit or pleasure. Charity is not easily provoked. Sometimes there are those that we have to deal with feel like you have to walk on eggshells, you might say something that might really get them upset. But we need to take that into account and do what we can, not to provoke them. But we, as Christians, should not be easily provoked. That is, as Henry, Matthew Henry says, that it corrects a sharpness of temper. When you feel yourself going off the tracks because of anger, you need to stop everything and redirect the conversation, redirect your thoughts. Don't go there because you'll be doing something you would be ashamed of. You must correct, and charity will do that in us, correct sharpness of temper. Love sweetens and softens the mind so that it does not suddenly conceive nor long continuance with a vehement passion. Charity thinks no evil. That is, it cherishes no malice nor gives way to revenge. It is not soon nor long angry. It is never mischievous nor inclined to revenge, it does not suspect evil of others. I know we're living in a time when we become very uh, suspicious uh, because we know that things have been told us that are true 
And it's becoming more and more so where we begin to distrust others. But we need to avoid thinking evil against others. We may put something together in our minds and we think that, was, that's, that person is an evil person. And they come to find out that everything they're putting together in their mind wasn't even true. We need to be careful because charity does not do that. Further, in verse 6, the apostle says, Charity rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. May God give us such a heart of charity that we would never find ourselves rejoicing in iniquity. Or as Matthew Henry says, taking pleasure in doing injury or hurt to any. A sadist is one who rejoices in iniquity. It thinks not evil of any without very clear proof. Remember, two witnesses, if you got a report, and especially if it's in the church, if there's something that is said about an elder and somebody's spreading about something, you have to have two witnesses. And they have to be credible witnesses. We must follow the scriptures and all of these things that govern our thinking and our emotions and our affections. takes no pleasure in doing injury to any. It thinks no evil without any very clear proof. It wishes ill to none, much less will it hurt or wrong any. And least of all, make this matter of its delight rejoice in doing harm and mischief. Charity rejoices in the truth. That is, charity is glad. For the success of the gospel. Isn't it a blessing when we hear that the word of God was preached and there were those who were converted? We rejoice as Christians. That's rejoicing in the truth. Glad to the success of the gospel, commonly called the truth, by way of emphasis in the New Testament. We see the Apostle John rejoicing in the truth. He says in 2 John 1.4, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in the truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. And lastly, in verse 7, the virtuous property stated here is that charity beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. So this word beareth, it has a sense of covering. Charity will draw a veil over the faults of others. We're so quick to want to throw the cover and really uh, gossip about what we learned that someone did, some awful thing. But bearing here, as I said, has the idea of covering the faults of others as far as it can consistently be done. Of course, we wouldn't cover somebody that uh, needs to be found out so that they can uh, adjudicate a matter. But something that we should, just, is just gossip, we need to uh, avoid that. Thus we see the Apostle Paul again in Romans 15 verse 1. He says, we then that are 
strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. So we need to bear with others' weaknesses. Now, when it says believe all things, that doesn't mean you're gullible. It means simply this, that you are more willing to receive something unless you find out differently uh, if it's uh, about someone. You're willing to receive it as a, a true. But if you find out otherwise, of course, then you have to uh, deal with that. But generally, we should believe what we are told unless we have reason to believe otherwise. Hopeth all things. You know, uh, as I, a few months ago, had a message on uh, wearing the whole gospel armor. And I find myself, when things come upon me and seems overwhelming to me, I just go through. And I, I was mentioning memorizing 1 Corinthians chapter 1 through 8. I think it would be good also to uh, remember Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, about the whole armor of God. Remember what that armor is. The helmet of salvation, the hope of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. That is Jesus Christ's righteousness in me. Wow, to know that that's in us, that that just empowers us just to think about it. And it is really there. Being geared about with truth. Putting on the have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Then taking the sword of the Spirit and taking the shield of faith. These things are realities. And this is what we should be doing, is exercising, putting these to use. I find another verse that goes along with that whole matter about fighting with the whole armor of God, taking the shield of faith, uh, wherewith we will uh, be able to deflect all the fiery darts of the devil. I, I find that how that as that taking the whole armor of God does build us a defense so that we can stand against all the wiles uh, of Satan. And thus there's a passage in the Revelation. It says, and they overcame by the word of the testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. That's your victory. And you're going to be facing even when we leave here and we go about our business we're dealing with spiritual things all the time. Sometimes we're not conscious about it. But we need a spiritual armor for our protection. But also, we need to know that God calls us to be a loving people and to hate iniquity. We need to learn to then bear all things, to believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. Remember this, the good providence is what has brought whatever may be troubling you here this morning. Think about it. God has placed that before you. Think of it as as a challenge to put your spiritual experience into practice. Oftentimes uh, when we face horrible things, we say, oh Lord, take this away, take it now. Uh, I don't think I can live any longer with this going on. God brought it there and he's going to give you grace to work through it. Just listen to what he says in the scriptures. Take the whole armor of God. Apply that. So then we see the more excellent way that the Apostle Paul would have the Christians to follow is the exercise then of their gifts. 
to one another so that we may indeed have a very fervent desire of love uh, one for the other. Lastly, I want us to note in verse 8, we have the more excellent way, charity being the more excellent way, because without it we are nothing, and it's the more excellent way because of its virtuous properties. Verse 8, charity then is the more excellent way because extraordinary gifts that were in those times will end, and they have ended. But charity endures forever. This is what Paul is saying to keep them in the more excellent way. You're doting on extraordinary gifts that are going to fall away. But more important, you should have your heart filled and desiring more of charity and love in your service to the church. So, in verse 8, showing that these extraordinary gifts will pass, but charity will never fail. Look at verse 8. Charity never faileth. The word there means fall away. Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. They, that is, people predicting the future, that will be abolished. We don't use that means anymore. We have the canon of Scripture completed. The extraordinary gifts have passed. They have served their purpose. The prophecies then that were in those apostolic times have been abolished. Whether there be tongues, they shall come to an end. Whether there be extraordinary knowledge, all of that shall be done away with. And so, beloved of God, what we want to note here is our focus upon God giving us a heart filled with love because love or charity never fails, never falls away. Thus, we are assured of the passing away of the extraordinary gifts. But charity remains For Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 through 19 says, and this is what John wrote, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. It could be said for the whole of Scripture as well as for the book of the Revelation. If any man shall add unto these words, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. There will be no new revelation given. I believe in the providential preservation of God's word. Therefore, we do not need to go into caves and break up pottery jars and try to find a another Dead Sea Scroll. God has preserved his word. Oftentimes adding all this other, because it's ancient, people want to add it into the word of God and take away what God has already put in his inspired word. And so, as we close this message, I would leave you with these thoughts.
the grace of love is to be greatly desired more than all spiritual gifts. I love the 1599 Geneva Bible notes. It says, ask, what is that which is better than the best? What's better than the best? It is to love God and to love man. Graces are better than the best gifts. A heart full of holy love is a far better endowment than a head full of the clearest knowledge or a tongue overflowing with utterance. Whatever way you cannot run in, make sure that you are walking in the way of the more excellent way of charity. Make sure your journey in this life is a walk in the way, the way of love, which is far more excellent. And I close with Bishop Hall's quote regarding this matter of our walking in love. Men may endow the poor with all their wealth out of mere ostentation or showiness, or die as martyrs out of sheer obstinacy. They became a martyr, but they didn't because they weren't going to cooperate with the officials that were trying them. But if they have no love to God, they have suffered in vain. Love is an essential grace. It is the soul of godliness. And without it, religion is but a dead carcass. Amen. This has been a presentation of Redeemer Presbyterian Church. For more resources and information, please stop by our website at visitredeemer.org. All material here within, unless otherwise noted, copyright Redeemer Presbyterian Church, Elk Grove, California. Music furnished by Nathan Clark George, available at nathanclarkgeorge.com.